0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we've got another track session from Freedom in Christ coming up for you. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, you might want to skip back and do that now. They've been talking to us about race relations And how our spiritual identity can actually play into that. How you view yourself controls the way you have conversations with others around race. This is really helpful stuff here. You're going to enjoy it. Let's jump in and hear from Daryl and Stephanie Fitzgerald and Dan Stutt from Freedom in Christ. Here we go. All right.
1: um. This is a really sensitive topic here in this country. Um, talking about race, race relationships, and so we recognize that this is a conversation or a topic of discussion that um, some people can be polar opposites on, and some people are afraid to talk about this situation because they don't want to be labeled. Some people are un- unaware of the dilemma that we're in in this country because historically speaking, um, we don't see things or we see things from a different perspective um, as far as African-Americans and white whites in this country, we see things differently and those perspectives are not necessarily wrong, they're just different um, but what we want to do is we want to have this discussion and please feel free to, as we have this discussion to talk through some of the uh, the talking points that we have when it comes to race relations. And so I'm gonna give you a couple of stats from um, the Pew Research uh, about race relations in this country. Uh, race relationships in the United States are generally bad. Surprise, right? No, not a surprise. Fifty-six percent of um, white Americans believe that is a true statement. 78% of African-Americans believe that's a true statement. So we both in this country feel like these um, this conversation is a conversation that is, a, is generally on the down slope. <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing a good job with race relations. Um, uh, here's a, here's a, a lightning rod uh, that could be viewed either way. Trump has made race relations worse the Pew Research says, 49% of white Americans believe that he has and 73% of African Americans believe that he has. So uh, that's a a lightning rod conversation right there if I've ever heard one. Uh, Our country hasn't gone far enough in giving black equal rights with whites. Um, And 37% of white Americans says that's true, and then 78% of African Americans say that's true. So as you can see, we have a relationship problem in this country when it comes to race and the agenda of justice in this country. We have really polar views about how we deal with it, how we talk about it. Here's a question. How many of you in this room have Wanted to have the conversation, but don't want to be labeled <laughs> in having the conversation. Like, I'm scared to have this conversation because I'm gonna be labeled as you know, a racist, or I'm scared because I don't wanna be viewed as a racist, or I'm scared because I don't wanna be seen as something that I'm not. Um, most people that I talk to that are white in, my, in this area have said that that's their, their fundamental problem with having conversations. <laughs> And uh, here's another one. Yes.
2: Uh, along with what you're saying, I'm from Seattle, mm-hmm. and you know we're considering having a racial reconciliation workshop with Jerry Taylor, uh, you know, from Avalon Christian. But um, our church is afraid of. Why are you creating a problem when one doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. You know, our church doesn't feel that there's a problem. I mean, we're pretty it's more Asians than it is Blacks in, mm-hmm. our, in our area but there are some blacks as well. They're saying you're opening a problem that doesn't exist, you're creating one by even having a discussion. Well, that's, that's, I, I would probably say that that's
1: fear-based
2: yeah.
1: in, this, in this conversation, mm-hmm. not necessarily truth-based. Um, however, we need to address it because if you don't address a cancer in your body, it, you can say all day long you don't have cancer. It doesn't mean that it's going to go away. What it means is it's going to spread, and so we have to look at the reality of where we are in this country and deal with it, and be able to have good conversations about it. So, yeah. which, by the way, I mean, you
3: could yeah. operate as if you're normal with cancer, right? And and it can be work and destruction. And that's a really interesting thing too, in light of uh, you know COVID nineteen and how so much was blamed on Asia and asians for creating it bringing it over so that's an interesting perspective to me now uh that's said oh we don't have an issue with that um but um albert tate who wrote how we love matters and started a um, ministry of racial reconciliation and a church a multi-ethnic church in california i believe he uh, he actually was primarily looking at the black-white uh, race issue, and then realized, too, being on the West Coast, that no, we have to include uh, Asian in that issue, of Hispanic as well, and so we broadened it. of our
2: community is Asian, oh, wow. oh wow, 48% is
3: white, wow. and
2: about two percent is black or African American. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't the term African
4: American
2: because we've got several people in our church that are white from, from
1: South Africa. So they're African Americans. Yeah. So I don't know whether you
2: use the term black or African Americans
1: sometimes. Yeah. South, Af- South African Americans. Yeah. Hey, I'm African American, you know. Maybe you are. <laughs> well, your skin tone doesn't say that. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Get that. In order for us to have this conversation, I think um, we all have to be on, on level ground and if you look at the first slide um, our, identity, our new creation identity in Christ is the foundation for healthy and productive conversations about <clears throat> race relations um, I, I believe Acts seventeen twenty six says this that uh, out of one man he made all nations this is what Jesus brought to the table when he created us all as human beings, he created us, he's, a, he's very creative, you know, in his way of doing things. He, he, he knows the hues of color that he wants, and so for us, in order for us to have this conversation and have level conversation, our, our, new, uh, our new identity, our new creation identity is where we are going to have this conversation, because that's, that's where I believe is going to be the most productive in having, in having these conversations as, as believers everybody's not going to believe that but for us as believers in Christ that is the foundation for having a good conversation when it comes to race relationships because we are all on opposite ends. What was
5: that um, scripture reference in Acts?
1: 1726. Thank you. Um, I'm going to show you a picture. Um, if you see that picture behind you, can you see that picture? That is a picture of me at seven or eight years old, that's me. My first um, encounter as a third grader with racism, I grew up in the a uh, part of the country where Virginia was the first state that brought slavery into, it was the doorway to slavery into this country. And because it was, I, I was born 200 miles east of where the first slaves were brought into the country. and. And so I grew up in the hub, the, center, the, the, the centerpiece where slaves entered into the United States of America. And because I grew up in that area, there is a lot of mindsets that are there uh, from whites and blacks that are really covered in slavery, uh, covered in um, I'm better than you, you're better than me type thing. And so for me, I grew up in, this is this a third grade picture of mine, and um, one of the things that we like to do, um, the teacher allowed us to do, is to be the first one in line to lead the, the classroom to the lunchroom. And so I never really got the opportunity to do that. And so one day I said, I'm going, I'm going to be in first in line. I'm, I'm going to win this, 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 I'm going to win. I'm going to get there. Well, um, I was anticipating, and when the bell rang, you had to wait. In those days, the bell rang. Um, (laughs) When the bell rang, I jetted to the front, and I made it. I was the first one in line to go to the lunchroom to lead my classmates down to lunch. I looked up at my teacher's face, and it was hard as stone. And she didn't look at me. She she looked over me. And the first time I felt something was wrong, I said, what did I do wrong? This is a normal activity. This is what we do. And so when she looked over to make sure that everyone was in line, she turned around and started walking towards the lunchroom. And I was still a little happy about being first in line. And then she got uh, probably, 25 steps into the, um, into the going to the lunchroom. And she stopped and she kicked me. And when she kicked me, I felt immediately embarrassed. I felt immediately ashamed. I felt immediately like I did something wrong by trying to lead this glass into the front, into the lunchroom. And when that happened to me, I felt that like she was telling me You had no business as a black man or black child leading our classroom to the lunchroom because leadership is not what you do. And so for me, that was my first encounter, that little kid right there, my first encounter dealing with racism as a seven-year-old kid. That was my first one. Now remember, I told you, I lived in the area where racism was, was, it was the core piece of our community. But this is what I want you to see. The next uh, slide is this. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, our cultural and racial heritage should not lead our conversations as believers. Instead, our spiritual heritage as believers should lead our conversations over our cultural and racial heritage. Absolutely. I was devastated as a kid. I told my parents about what happened they went to the school but of course we knew because of the part of the country that we lived in nothing would happen and nothing happened but that put a thought in my mind that I was not good enough that put a thought in my mind that being black is not better than being white that put in my mind that I would rather, this is my my literal thought, I thought to myself I want to be a white person because being white in this community is better than being black in this community. So that was, that was just one instance that happened to me, but there were many other instances that happened to me that I'll talk about later on that really shaped my view about whites in America, that shaped my view about blacks in America, that shaped my view about, in America, my view about myself in America, that really did something that was really damaging, damaging to me as a kid growing mm-hmm. up in believing that I
3: could not be a leader in this community. so Yeah, so to talk about our new creation identity, we want to discuss, you know, what is it that forms, who are we biblically. We'll also look at what the world says, uh, you know, the world's worldview of uh, what it means to be someone. And so we start, of course, with created in the image of God. Uh, Genesis 1.27, for you know, God said, let us create man or humankind in our own image, uh, male and female, he created them. right? And so every person on the planet Earth has dignity because they've been created in the image of God. And they are someone for <laughs> whom Christ has died, whether they have trusted him for salvation or not. And so uh, that, of course, is universal. But then there's this divide uh, of... Uh, We all were born dead in sin, all right, because we inherited that from uh, Aunt Adam and uh, their original sin in the garden in Genesis 3. We'll look at that a little bit more in just a second. Um, And so we're all born in Adam, Scripture says. Uh, But then those of us who've trusted Christ and are saved, uh, are said to be in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ. So, so again, from that original uh, created identity in the image of God, then we have a split. That original division, mm-hmm. like you talked about, right? Do you want to talk about that from Genesis? Yeah, in, in Genesis, um,
1: before the fall of Adam and Eve, there was unity. God was unified with man because man's spirit. With God and God's Spirit dwelt with man. And because of that, God Himself had a unified relationship with man that He created on the earth. But after the fall, that was the first touch of separation, division, racism, sexism, elitism. Man was divided from God, man also was divided from Himself. And man was divided from the counterpart, which was Eve, that God created for Adam and Eve to walk together as a unified front. And so when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that's the, that's the first encounter of division, separation that we see that, is, that was the seed to what I believe is where we are today when it comes to racism. So that seed was planted over 6,000 years ago in the garden when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. That, that brought us to our, to where we are today when it comes to separation from each other, separation from God, separation from man, separation from ourselves as human beings, separation from marriage, and separation basically from ourselves because we lost our true identity.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, uh, that idea of, of life and death, it, it flows throughout here, right? And, and so life biblically means to be united with, death means to be separated from, and so if we look at, again, back in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we look at what, what was the original created uh, design uh, God meant for all of humanity to be accepted, secure, and significant, right? So accepted, uh, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed before God and one another. They had nothing to hide. There was nothing dividing them until sin entered right? They were secure. They were in the garden, had everything provided for them as well as the presence of God, right? They walked with God in the garden and they were significant. God said, fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it or rule over it, which again, interestingly, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit more throughout the morning, is that when Adam and Eve rebelled in sin, who did they turn the rulership of the world over to? but the enemy of our souls. Jesus, Paul, Peter says that Satan is the ruler of this world, the God of this age, the, the, you know, the, the prince of the power of, of the air, this, the world view uh, that is predominant in those who don't believe. And so we all grow up in that, but then sin enters and that acceptance is replaced by rejection, that division between Adam and Eve. You know, they blame one another, they're, they're at each other, they're hiding because they're afraid. And so that acceptance was replaced by rejection, and we all need a sense of acceptance and belonging. I mean, I have, I have extended family members who are, just to use the term, woke, and disparaging white people because they want to be accepted they, that, that phrase, they want to be on the right side of history, right, is what they're, is what they're buying into, unfortunately. Uh, but they just want to be accepted. They want to be secure. secure our security was replaced by weakness and vulnerability. And so people seek to exert this sense of strength or self-control or control over others and their environment. And then they also want to feel significant because that significance was replaced by guilt and shame, uh, so but we have this God-designed need for a sense of self-worth and significance, and so so when I so when I was a kid at,
1: at at seven or eight years old, these are the three primary things that I was looking for. I was looking for acceptance because I wanted to be accepted because I was first in line. I was looking for security. I was looking for security because I wanted the teacher to see and and her believe in what I did was a good thing. And I, I was looking for significance. I wanted, I wanted to say to the teacher, hey, look at me. Look at me. Aren't, aren't, I, I made it to the front of the line. I'm, isn't that a good thing? But all that was shattered when she kicked me. All that was shattered when, because I was looking for, like every human being is looking for acceptance, security and significance. And I happened to look for it in a teacher but you can't find that in anything. You can't find it in money, you can't find it in a teacher, you can't find it in your accomplishments, acceptance, security, and and uh, significance is only found in the one who created us, which is Christ. And so having the conversation of racial, race, race relations is, it has to be paramount and start at the foundation of, of the creator and not the foundation of what man thinks or what society thinks or how society looks at or views us from their perspective because society gets what drawn yeah because god the, the the enemy of this world is satan he's the god of this world is what the Bible says mm-hmm.
3: yeah so if we look at scripture here and uh, we uh, we look at Ephesians 2 1 through 10 really has all of this right in it and continues on to to talk about uh, division being repaired and unity being purchased back by Christ. But right here, you know, we start out, we were dead in sin, following uh, the ways of the world, the the ruler of this this age. Uh, But God, because of his great love for us, right, acceptance, made us alive together with Christ and seated us in the heavenlies with him. How much more secure can we get than that? right and then later on after saying it's by grace we're saved through faith is not of ourselves it's a gift of god you know but god created us as his poema his workmanship each of us uniquely designed to do the works that he's prepared in advance for us to do there's our significance right and so so but that that shift from we were dead in sin but god because of his great love made us alive in christ We talked about to be alive means to be united with, to be dead means to be separated from, right? And so we're all born separated from, as Daryl said, God and one another because of sin. In Christ, he restores that unity, right? He restores life, right? God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die, Die. right? Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. And with life united to God through Christ, we're restored to acceptance and security and significance, and and that's part of what our ministry teaches as of prime importance. Along with the gospel, we have to understand who God is, what He's accomplished in Christ, and who we become as new creations in Christ.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna give you another story about myself Um, when I was. 18 years old, I, I played basketball. Uh, well, not when I was 18. I played all the way up to 18 years old. And I got a scholarship to play basketball at Liberty University. And when I got that scholarship, you know, that was one of the things that my father said to me when I was a kid. He said, I don't have any money. You're going to have to hustle. To make sure that you get the education that you need so he put me in sports at a a really young age so it paid off i got a scholarship to play basketball at, at liberty university um god used that scholarship to get me into ministry
0: hey let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors here they are Wouldn't it be
6: great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-to's, that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in Sustainable Discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them.
0: All right, let's get back to the episode.
6: You
1: know, so it was was the love of my life playing basketball. So this is what happened. So um, when I got to school at Liberty University, that's when I gave my life to Christ. I still had a lot of the issues that I was dealing with racism and, and so on and so forth, but I'll get to that in a minute. But when I got to Liberty University to play basketball, I gave my life to Christ my heart shifted from playing basketball was not my love anymore the love of my life was helping people to understand who they are and so when I did that the love of basketball became secondary to me the love of Christ became primary to me now I had a a dilemma God put it on my heart to quit basketball I said what you talking
2: about Willis?
1: (laughs) to quit basketball? long story short I went into the coach's office, I looked past my number, I looked, I looked at my locker, I had my name that I was playing for, I had my jersey, and I was like, man, I can't do this. Long story short, I went to the coach's office and told him, I'm done, I quit. Because the, the God had put the love of his people in my heart more over basketball. And because I did that, I gained financial problems. I had $8,400 worth of debt that immediately came to me because I gave my scholarship up. Long story short, we started doing hip hop in the community, started traveling across the country doing Christian hip hop, and then Dr. Falwell, Jerry Falwell at the time, heard about what we were doing in the community. And so he got in contact with us and said, I want to meet with you guys when you get back to town. We get back to town. Now, remember, I had $8,400 worth of debt that I had to pay. So I kind of knew what was going on, so I brought my bill with me. I tucked my my bill in my pocket. And so, and this is what he said, and I quote, he said, I've done some things in the African-American community that I'm ashamed of. I know that I cannot get back in the community because of the things that I stood for. I couldn't believe that my jaw dropped cuz I couldn't believe he was he was confessing this to us. And then he said to us, "What can I do for you?" That's when I gently reached <laughs> into my pocket and pulled out that bill and and I said, "I need help paying this bill." And this is what he said. He said, "I can do much better than that." He said, "Not only will I pay your bill from your past um financial problems, but I will pay your scholarship. I will give you a what he called a JFS scholarship, Jerry Falwell scholarship all the way up into a a master's degree if that's what you want to do. So most people in the African-American community don't know that he he did things behind the scenes like that all the time.
4: Mm
3: -hmm.
1: But because he did some things or said some things and stood for some things in his previous life because he told us that his his grandfather was a racist, he, told, he, he, he confessed that to us. And then he said, I, I want to do things better in my community, and this is one of the things that I can do to help you guys to be able to do what you can do. So what, what, what I gave to God in scholarship form, God gave back to me up to a master's degree, all because of his love for me, my love for him, and how I wanted to be able to do things in the community. When it came to race relations, beautiful story, right? And the other yeah. part of
6: that is you're not the only one that was blessed in that.
1: Yes, right. yes, yeah. beautiful. Th- yeah. beautiful thing, beautiful. Cool. Yes. Actually, my uncle
4: went to Liberty University. Get out basketball. of here. <laughs> same scenario that Jerry Foreman did for you, did the same thing for him. So oh, he was just ended up to the Hall of Fame. Yeah.
1: What are you saying to me? <laughs> <laughs> what are the What are the chances of this happening today? Yeah. 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 So that, that shows you behind the scenes, even though Dr. Falwell himself did some things that he confessed that was yeah. bad, that shows you behind the scenes what he was trying to do to make things right because of what he did early in his life.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. Get out of here.
5: And don't we all have those things? We all got it. We all got it. Oh, you know? yeah. So it's like it's once, once we give it over to God, he, mm-hmm. he showers us with blessings as long as we...
0: Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the discipleship.org collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories, and we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments. For you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. So here's
1: the question. Uh, Are we still dealing with racism in this country? Absolutely. But racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. And sin is something that the enemy wants to continue to perpetuate because he knows division will kill him. Unity is what God desires. So when it comes to the effects of the fall, Every racial temptation that I have in today's society, every temptation since the fall is an attempt to meet those significant needs that we all have. And God knows that. And so to say every temptation since the fall is an attempt to meet your God given legitimate needs independently of God through the lure of the world, the flesh and the Mm -hmm. devil. So Satan wants me to meet my needs on my own, apart from God, to live my life independent of God, so that I can do something that he desires for me to do than what God desires for me to do,
3: because God is the only one that can meet those legitimate needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those needs for acceptance and security and significance. Um, I was reading uh, Vody Bakum's book, Fault Lines, which uh, he's uh, a sociologist by training, uh, he was a pastor for many years. Now he actually heads up a seminary over in... Um, um, Did you May say Am- Africa? I know. Yeah, it's West I, Africa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, I had it earlier and it slipped my mind now. But um, he says the anti-racist movement has many of the hallmarks of a cult, including staying close enough to the Bible to avoid immediate detection and hiding the fact that it has a new theology, a new glossary of terms that diverge ever so slightly from Christian orthodoxy, which again removes it from being orthodoxy, and he says the new body of divinity he calls it comes complete with its own cosmology. It's uh, how do we solve the problems of the world? It's original sin, racism, law, anti-racism, gospel, racial reconciliation, etc. Martyrs, priests, new birth, wokeness, etc. So part of what we want to talk about here uh, is we want to set that stage for. Uh, what does it look like from the world's perspective versus biblical perspective? So I know we're a little short on time. Yes.
5: Sorry, did you say fault line? What was that? Fault lines, like?
3: fault yeah. Lines yeah. Jody? The by bo- Voddie Bakum. V-O-D-D-I-E, yep. okay. Um And uh, so what's the world's perspective on this, right? Instead of being created in the image of God, we're here by chance over time. Right? And so purpose is survival and, uh, you know, even uh, just the, the enjoyment of life or succeeding. Uh, the nature of humanity is more, hey, we're a blank slate or even inherently good. Sin comes through learning it by these uh, ungodly systems that are in place that have to be overthrown. Okay? And so uh, but then, uh, of course, uh, gender is not no longer male, female but you get to choose, you know, whatever you feel like. And there is, I mean, we talked about uh, the enemy of our souls, the God of this world, there is an agenda. I was just in California a couple of weeks ago, and uh, somebody was telling me that their friend pulled their kids from school because their youngest of four, who's a boy, has three older sisters, and the teacher was saying to him in first or second grade, don't you want to be a girl so that you fit in with your sisters? Right? Planting that thought in the, in the mind of a young, impressionable child. Don't you want to be a girl? So you're accepted. <coughs> Our daughter's
2: a school psychologist in California, so oh, well. the stories I hear. Yeah. yeah.
3: So you, you hear from a school psychologist of how this agenda is being pushed. Now, part of what we want to say, and we put these in concentric circles because um, the, what is in the outer circles Must be interpreted in light of what is in the inner circles, right? So our identity in in uh, in God's image, or being created in God's image, our identity in Adam or in Christ, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But all of these things are, (coughs) are, you know, if we're here by chance over time, then there's no meaning and purpose, no overarching. Uh, God who tells us what's true so everybody gets to decide what's true for themselves. So why doesn't that apply to gender just like it applies to other things, right? So uh, this worldview is, and then so intersectionality, ethnicity, culture is said to be, hey, it's that is most important in some circles. And, and intersectionality, you probably have heard, is, is that idea of the more points of oppression that a person has experienced, um than the, uh, than the greater moral authority that they have been said to have, or they're said to have in today's culture. So Daryl, as a black man, has experienced more oppression than I have as a white man, and so he is uh, seen to have greater moral authority in the world than I have. His wife Stephanie, a black woman, has two points of oppression, black and female. And so that gives her greater moral authority to speak her truth uh, into the world system. That's what intersectionality means. And so that's why in our government today you have transgenders and there's stated desire to promote those who have been oppressed because they're seen to have that moral authority. Yeah, in Judges chapter 25, um I think it's chapter no 18 or 25. One of those two.
1: The Bible says that when sin was fully grown, man started doing what's right in his own eyes. So we can we can our own selves. We define truth. We define what's right. We define what's moral. What's accepted, and you know because we define what's right and what's true, then what's true for you may not be true for me. All but your truth yeah. is relative to who you are mm-hmm. as opposed to your truth is relative to me well that's a load of crock
5: <laughs> <laughs> because
1: we don't we don't have the ability to hold standards of truth only the creator does yeah. the creator makes what's true whether we want to believe it or not it doesn't matter what matters is what he says because he's the author of life mm-hmm. he came to give us life He came to tell us the moral standards. He came to set the agenda, and he came to set not only the agenda, but he came to destroy the works of the enemy so that we can learn how to live our lives according to his standards and his standards alone and not our own standards because our own standards lead us to destruction and separation. Remember, he wants to bring unity, not division. The enemy wants to bring division and not unity especially when it comes to gender, relationships, male and female relationships, fellowship with one another as blacks and whites and Asians and all ethnic groups. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy. God's job is to bring life and life more abundantly. There. And that's what we stand on. Yeah,
3: and I think it's Deuteronomy ten thirteen. He says, you know, Moses says, the commands and laws I'm giving you today are for your own good, right? To promote life and unity. But that's why you know, what you're saying of, of that everyone did what was right in his own eyes, that's why the, the riots of the last few years were, were seen by the world as good and necessary. Now, you know, we are saying yeah. justice has to be done, but not in a disorderly unlawful way. But that was seen as morally acceptable and right because it was overthrowing the oppressor. And so that's that world view uh, that that we're living in the midst of here in, here in the US today. But biblically we want to look back at who are we. Again, we talked about what it means to be in Christ, uh, that we're we're now again united with God and accepted secure and significant in Him. And everything that we do, including this racial reconciliation conversation, justice issues flows from that and our security in that. And can I say
1: this before we move on to this point? I I do believe that the death of George Floyd was the tipping point for the racial tension in this country. Um, Even though there were many deaths before George Floyd, uh, Emmett Till was one of those that was a tipping point for America, and George Floyd was a tipping point. Um, uh, 1993, Rodney King was a tipping point. For the country, because a lot of people saw the injustices that were in the country. But guess what? We shouldn't be surprised by those things because when when you're in the world, the world lives by its standard, and we're saying, okay, when you live according to your own standards, and you think you come from an amoeba, a Big Bang theory, it's a theory. Why would you? Why would we sell it as true? Then you're gonna live your life out of your belief system. And so, what we're trying to say to to America and whoever listens is being made in the image of God or being made in the image of a monkey uh, is God. God created us male and female. God made us human beings. We're spirit beings that live in a human body and so we are experiencing life from God's perspective and not our own perspective. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah and and God gives us universal biblical relational principles Uh, in which we need to treat one another to promote life and health. So even to to use that male and female illustration of marriage, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, you know, and he says protect and provide or nourish and cherish. That's how across cultures, across ethnic experience, those principles apply. You know, there's so many others uh, throughout scripture uh, that we have to implement in our relationships and in these discussions. Um, but then we, we also uh, do have um, this idea that, well, we are, we do have different ethnicities. God has created all uh, ethnos out of one person. And uh, the people of different ethnos will be in the kingdom of heaven. So God's not going to erase our color when we get to heaven. Um, I mean, I'll say this too. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: one one of the things so so white America can know this. One thing that that Black America wants you to know is when you say I don't see color, that's a form of projection.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a form of you saying that you don't value my skin tone. And when you say that to us, what you're saying is I don't see you as how God created you to be. Mm-hmm. So because you don't you don't see me as the color that God made me to be what you're saying to me and I, I understand the premise behind what you say but it is not taking well in the African American community because what you're saying is you reject who I am because of the color of my skin. Hmm. That,
2: that's, that's probably one of my personal biggest struggles is that uh, my theology tells me that uh, we're all one you know we're mm-hmm. uh, you know we're uh, neither male nor female, neither Jew, Jew or Greek, mm-hmm. you know, or Gentile, I'm sorry. And, um, uh, you know, but as the song says, uh, you know, red and yellow, black or white, mm-hmm. we're all precious or something. How do we keep that respect for that identity, you know, and 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 still understand we're all one,
1: mm-hmm. you know?
2: How do I, as a white, Old white male, (laughs) you know, um, uh, appreciate, show my appreciation, my entire appreciation for who you are as people, you know, whether you're another white male, whether you're a woman, whether you're a black male, black woman, Asian. How,
3: yeah. do I, how do I do that? So, yeah, Consistently. So, yeah. yeah, let me just Great reiterate question. the question, the, the statement in question for the recording, because uh, the directional mic. No. So what you're saying is that, again, your theology, and, and uh, you know, Paul says that there's neither male nor female, uh, Jew nor Greek, mm-hmm. you know, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus, right? Christ has purchased that unity, mm-hmm. again, that we're talking about. He's given us life, reunited us with God, and made us brothers and sisters, the family of God. So we're united, but that doesn't uh, divide our distinction. So for example, I have four kids, all from you know same, same parents, two boys, two girls, and it's amazing how different they are. And we appreciate and value those differences. So one of the ways that I try and communicate that, that is I approach the conversation as a learner. And I, I seek to understand the other person First, before seeking to be understood. And so just uh, I think people can will know our value of them by how we love them, uh, how we value them, what we want to learn from them. For instance, uh, when we have these racial conversations,
1: sometimes Dan is kind of afraid to ask me some questions <laughs> because he's afraid of how he's going to be looked, he's gonna be looked at. but because I understand him as a person, I don't, I, I don't not see him as a white guy asking me a question about my culture. I see him as a white guy who's asking the question, but I don't treat him as someone who is disrespected, not loved, not cared for. What I do is I, I, welcome, I welcome the question and say, you know, hey, it's going to be hard for you and it's going to be hard for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not an easy conversation or topic to deal with because of the history of this country. But we still have to have this conversation so please ask the question so I affirm who he is without uh, making him feel bad for the question that he's about to ask me and I, and, and that's listen it, that ain't easy it's, it's not easy to deal with that but it's necessary to have the conversation in Christ with a believer so that we can learn how to uh, adjust ourselves in the midst of the conversations. Yes.
2: And, just and in your relationship, have you ever been able to say to him, uh, well, man, that's just a little bit
1: racist"? <laughs> you know, I, I think I think we have. I I didn't yeah. say it like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going. I do. Yeah, I yeah. do. But 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 sometimes racism is out of ignorance.
3: Yeah.
1: It's not yeah. out of the trying to be, but it's out of ignorance yeah. because. Some some things that may feel racist to me. It's my job and my my obligation to say that well, that doesn't that feels like like I just told you. Hey, I want to be addressed as a black male. It doesn't mean that you know. I, I want to be seen by you as a white male. Don't don't deny my color. Don't deny my skin tone. Let's just talk about it and address it.
3: Yeah. yeah, and just like you had to overcome the the way that you were taught to see yourself as God created you as black by seeing your identity in Christ as primary, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I mean, we were joking about how, oh yeah, this is a great subject for me to bring up as an old bald white guy. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm seen as the oppressor, as the problem from the world's perspective. But I don't allow myself to be defined by that either. I'm defined by who I am in Christ, Mm -hmm. right? So even like the, the question, from Seattle earlier, of hey, we're we're nearly 50/50 black, uh, white, and Asian, with some some blacks in the community, but uh, a lot of people say, why are you bringing up this subject? Why do you think it's a problem? Well, again, a lot there's a lot of fear. I've experienced friends who are afraid to have the conversation because if I admit there's a problem, then I'm admitting the world is right, that I'm the oppressor, and I have to be overthrown, and all my Everything that I have is then lost and so again that that fear driven instead of know who I am in Christ I I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to maintain my position. I'm free in Christ He's my defense I don't have to get defensive and therefore I can come at it as a learner Instead of and so when I don't have all the answers and I'm wrong I can be corrected because praise God there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ yeah, I, I
5: believe if um, a, a big word that uh, or phrase that, that I work with is not, uh, or the way you preface something, mm-hmm. you know, if you start the conversation with, I know this is going to be a tough one mm-hmm. because I don't understand your culture, mm-hmm. then when you ask a question, it's not taken with uh, the bristling that is so common today.
3: Yeah, yeah, so. Mm-hmm.
5: I, I just wanted to add, I think it all starts with open up opening up that space for these conversations to happen and to i mean your your stories are so powerful what what you've experienced you know as a 7 year old and you know that and hearing that just having the space to hear it you know as a white person who you know i've gone through my whole life never experiencing a situation like that and just you know, opening up the my ears to hear that and to, to you know, walk, yeah. you know, like just, yeah. I mean, that is where it all starts is just asking the questions and being, um, you know, sitting in that uncomfortableness and that heartbreak and, and, and all of that. And then okay, what, what do I do from that once I, once I know your lived experience? Yeah, you
1: know? it's, it's, it's vulnerability on both sides. Right. It really is. It's, it, it is not going to be an easy conversation. Look, I'm not the first black dude to deal with it. You know, Martin Luther King dealt right. with it from one's perspective. Malcolm X dealt with it from another perspective. And, you know, JFK dealt with it. You know, it, it's just so much in this country. If we don't have the conversation based in our identity in Christ, it is not going to work.
4: Yeah. And I would share, them, like, with me, you know, growing up, I remember when I was seven and we went to, we all had that favorite hot dog stand in town mm-hmm. that we all loved used to go to. So, so me being seven, you know, I went and picked up some cans, so I want to go get my hot dog. Mm-hmm. So we go to town, so I get ready to go in the front door. i never forget, my grandfather snatches me and said, no, son, you cannot go in the front door, you got to go to the side door. Me being seven, I didn't understand mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, also then he was teaching me how to budget my money, so I had some more money. We're gonna go to the bank. We're gonna open up me an account. So I said, okay, we're gonna get us a hot dog. Then we're gonna go to the bank. We're gonna open me a little account. So I said, okay, Grenada, we through eating the hot dog. Let's go to the bank. He said, no, son, the bank closes at twelve. Seven. I mm-hmm. don't know what that means. Well, gets back home. He explained to me son he said you i'm going to teach you how to have thick skin because you can't go through the front door you have to go through the side door this is why you have to go through the side door again then I understand that couldn't go to the bank open the account because the bank closes at 12 because that's a ritual where they sold, sold slaves at 12 o'clock mm-hmm. i didn't know that mm-hmm. so i had to learn that but what he taught me he said son when you continue on in life, when you get those opportunities to speak with other people of other race, you can explain to you how it makes you feel. So hopefully, you all friendship will be able to change other people's friendship. So that always stuck with me, because a friend of mine that, that's, that's, that's white don't understand what I feel, because he never had to deal with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But then when you explain that to him and talk to him, now it reverence with him and now he understands.
3: Yeah. And so these stories are so valuable for us to be able to share. I love 1 John 1 7, and we need to wrap up here in just a moment. But 1 John 1 7 says, If we walk in the light, mm-hmm. I always thought if I walk in the light, people are going to reject me and not mm-hmm. like me because I don't even like what's going on inside all the time. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all mm-hmm. sin. So there's healing in sharing stories, in understanding. And I wasn't, I wasn't taught that way growing up. I wasn't, I wasn't taught those lessons a hard, the hard way or told you have to have thick skin because of the color of your skin, right? And so understanding that is a different experience. We can, I can value that and at the same time we say, but our identity as created in the image of God and new creations in Christ uh, informs how we approach that conversation. So let's skim through these statements real quick and then see if there's a, one or two more questions. When God is
1: in the picture, our perspectives and life experiences is secondary. He is yes. the boss. Yeah. that's good. It's him. It's not what we think. It's not what we, what we see. It's his idea. We are not minimizing trauma, oppression, or other injustice issues yeah. because they happen.
3: Right. And yesterday I mentioned how uh, in First Corinthians 15, Paul says, I am passing on to you that which is of first importance, and that is the gospel, that Jesus, you know, the one who never sinned, God's son in the flesh, died on the cross, uh, rose again conquered sin death and Satan on our behalf. That's the gospel Justice issues and addressing justice is not the gospel it flows from the gospel, right? But when we're in the gospel, then we obey the command to do Justice, right? but the world would say no justice is the message of salvation those are those are two different things Right, so personal agendas must be set aside. If someone is in Adam, they don't have the power over sin to set aside their personal agendas and overcome their sin on their own, right? That's why, but in Christ, we can understand that and have gentleness, graciousness in those conversations, but in these conversations between believers. We are established as brother and sister in Christ. Yes,
1: wounds, vows, and lies must be dealt with um, spiritually in Christ, and that's what freedom in Christ does. When I say it's an, it's an excellent way to get rid of wounds and vows and things that really have made us feel like we are not anybody, but in Christ we are everybody's somebody. Yeah,
3: and so let me just say real quick: this Steps to Freedom booklet. I mean, Scripture says unforgiveness, anger, anxiety, bitterness, bitterness wounds give Satan a foothold to oppress the believer. Right. This simple tool, this prayer tool just says, uh, Lord, will you reveal to me what's my responsibility to submit to you and resist the devil? James 4, 7. Yeah. You know, and, and it's from then the point of freedom that we can have these conversations freely. Uh Restored is a book that Neil has written to explain how to walk through these. It's free online at FICM.org, uh, or you can get it at our booth upstairs. And Daryl and his wife Stephanie has, have written From Slavery to Freedom, sharing their story and some of their lineage and walking from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. So uh, that explains how we got to even yes. have this conversation. And we must
1: have these conversations according to what God says about who he is and what he has accomplished in Christ. Only way are going to do that. And our personal experiences and thoughts must be interpreted in the light of God's word, his truth. My experience is my experience, but however, my experience is not truth. My experience is what it is. It hurt me, but my experience does not mean that all white people are devils. Yeah. What it means is I have had an experience with someone that made me feel a certain way, and I must deal with that feeling through the lens of the truth of God's word in order to forgive that person. I can remember the lady's name right now. Her name is Miss Odell. I can see what she looks like. I remember the glasses she had on. I remember her hair back in the ponytail. I remember her being about seven foot tall. So. <laughs> kid anyway. Kinda, yeah.
3: so well, and, and Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He wants to, to you know perpetuate these lies. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. He prayed that the Father would sanctify us by his word. His word is truth. Philippians 4, we're to think that which is true, right? And God's peace is with us. And he said, when we know and do the truth, the truth sets us free. Who the Son sets free... Will be free indeed. And the last slide
1: is if we don't start from our new creation identity in Christ, our conversations will not be healthy or productive.
3: Amen. As believers. Amen.
2: And I think that's true in all relationships. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we gotta let you go. Yeah. Mike's getting stressed over here. Nope. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. round applause, guys. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you found it helpful in your life and in your circle of influence. Hey, if you haven't already, please click the subscribe button. I'd love to have you part of the followers of the Disciple Makers podcast. And that way you can stay up to date on everything that we're doing here. All right, y'all, thanks for listening and have a great day.